0: I've got two helpers today that said they want to help sing, so I'm excited about that. They love to sing, so I'm glad they can be here. Okay, our first song is called Be Thou My Vision. Oops, excuse me. Praise you, you are a treasure. You are a treasure.
1: i fled. Flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. And shall be to I die. Amen. Amen.
0: Good job, guys. Dad?
2: I'll be reading uh, from the book of John. Chapter 1 verse 19 through 34. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet?" I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the holy spirit i have seen and i testify that this is the son of god
0: thanks dad so this week you can be seated thank you Uh, this week, we're continuing on in the Gospel of John. You know, the first week, we did a kind of an overview of the Gospel. And then the second week, we went through the prologue of the Gospel that talks about the eternal Word that became flesh, right? And That became Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so now the Gospel is going to turn to John's testimony and what John the Baptist had to say about who Jesus was and also about who he was. All the Gospels start with John the Baptist. They they begin Jesus' ministerial life at that place because Jesus connects himself to John's baptism and therefore his ministry of baptism. And so as it opens up, it says this. This is the testimony of John. The Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the question is... Why are these people being sent out to John? Well, I think they recognize that the people viewed John as a legitimate prophet. In the other Gospels, you see these descriptors of who John is, who he was. And it says he wore camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. And it's an explicit reference to the Old Testament and how Elijah used to dress. See, John wore the attire of a prophet. And it says he ate locusts and honey, which was the diet of a prophet. And so all the signs were there that John was a legitimate prophet like the Old Testament prophets. And it says in the other gospels that they, the people believed he was a prophet. And so the leading Jewish, you know, the leaders of the Jews, they sent people out. They, they had to confirm who this man was. And so they send priests and Levites out to say, who are you? What are you doing out here in the desert baptizing? And so they ask these questions. It says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. If you're looking at your notes, that first blank there is, I am not the Christ. And the Christ is a title that's used in the Old Testament. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah, where we get the word Messiah. Messiah. Christ and Messiah, both in Hebrew and Greek, mean to be anointed. It's an an anointed one, right? And so the reference there is really specifically to 2 Samuel 7 is the passage. And in 2 Samuel 7, David has taken over the kingdom, right? Good, Good King David, as he's in control of the whole kingdom. And he says, what I'm going to do is build a house for your name, Lord. I want to build a house for you, God. And God says to him in 2 Samuel 7, Never once have I asked for the people to build me a house. Even in the wilderness, I wandered with them in tents. But let me tell you what I'm going to do, David. I will build you a house. And that house will be an everlasting kingdom. And you will always have a descendant on the throne, is what he says to David. And the anointing of David... Remember that image of of oil being poured on him. That is the anointing. when, When Samuel pours oil on David's head. And so the idea of Messiah or Christ is one that comes from the Old Testament as the coming Davidic king. When the title Christ or Messiah is used, they're talking about a coming king of Israel. And so they're saying... They want to know who John is. And John's openly saying, I'm not the king. I'm not the coming king, the anointed one, the Messiah. John openly confesses that. But clearly it shows how much reverence John was treated with. That they would think of him in those terms. That they would think of him that he could possibly be the Messiah. And then it says this, I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Elijah. And that's another character from the Old Testament that we see specifically in this case, not the specific prophet from the the book of Kings, but the, the prophet that's mentioned in Malachi 4. And here you see in Malachi 4, 5, it says the Lord, this is one of the last things he says, it's actually the last verse of the Old Testament, the very last word God gives to his people before the prophetic spirit kind of departs, and you don't hear anything until Jesus comes on the scene again in the Scriptures. It says this, Behold, I am going to send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That day of expectation, the day of salvation that they were waiting for. Before that day came, Elijah would come. And so they're asking John, are you Elijah? Elijah. Are you Elijah come again for this great incoming day that we're waiting for? And it's interesting because John says no. John the Baptist in the Gospel of John says no. And yet in the other Gospels, Jesus says, well, if you can understand it, he is the Elijah that was to come. So we know that both Jesus says, yes, he was this forerunner. He was this person who was to come before this great day of salvation. Jesus attests that John is that Elijah. But John clearly does not self-identify as that. This is not how he self-understood what his role was. But Jesus says, well, actually, he was that. He was that man that was to come. But John denies it here. And so they ask him another question. They say, are you the prophet then? And so now we have a third figure. What's interesting is all these figures kind of coalesce in Christ for Christians. And we've heard all these things for so long that we automatically assume, well, yeah, they're all pointing to Jesus. Whereas for the Jews, for all they knew, it could have been three totally separate, unique people. And they had a variety of expectations of what was going to happen in this coming great day of the Lord that was coming, this day of salvation. And so they ask all three, they say, are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? And the prophet comes out of Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, the Lord's speaking to the people uh, through Moses for the last time before Moses goes up onto Mount Nebo and, and dies, right? And they go into the promised land in Joshua. And so these last words in Deuteronomy that Moses is speaking, the Lord says through Moses, one day I'm going to raise up a prophet From among your countrymen, one like you, speaking to Moses, one like Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak all the things that I command. He will speak to them. And so they ask, Are you that prophet that's coming, the one like Moses? And again, John says, No, I'm not that prophet. I am not that prophet that is to come. And so they say, Well, What should we say to those who sent us? Those who sent us, who do you understand yourself to be? We're asking you all these questions, and you keep saying, no, no, no. Who are you? And John replies saying, well, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. This is coming out of Isaiah 40. And it's actually really significant what the context of Isaiah 40 is. See, in the book of Isaiah, all of Israel, with the exception of Jerusalem itself, is conquered by the Assyrians. And so for the first 39 chapters of the book, what happens is Israel is decimated because they have forsaken their God. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel, proper, right, in in the Old Testament, it's called Israel, that kingdom is utterly destroyed by Assyria, completely ravaged and taken over. And all of Judah, the southern kingdom, is also ravaged and destroyed literally up to the gates of Jerusalem. And it's at the gates of Jerusalem that Hezekiah prays that prayer that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem, and it's delivered. But the land is utterly devastated from the Assyrian army. And then it turns, at the end of chapter 39, it turns to chapter 40, and it opens with these words, Comfort, O comfort Jerusalem. Right? She has paid double for all her sins, and it says then, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth a desert for our God. Right? What it's talking about? is this hope that one day they're going to come out of exile. They've been exiled. Almost all the people of Israel have been exiled to a faraway land, a land in which they're slaves. Assyria, and then Babylon, and of course where we are in the New Testament, Rome. Right? They are are an oppressed people. And what this passage calls to is We're going to get out of exile. There's a voice calling us out of exile, and it's saying, make a highway. Well, what's the highway for? So that the exiles can go home. It says, make the valleys level and the mountains low so that we can make a straight pathway so that the exiles can go home to Jerusalem in freedom. So when John says, I am that voice, calling out in the wilderness. What he's saying is, I'm preparing the way out of exile. A new exodus is coming. A new redemption. Remember, that's the primary image of exodus, is that Moses led the people out of slavery and into freedom. And so John is saying, John the Baptist is saying, I am that voice that is preparing the way for the Lord who is coming to lead his exiles home. That's what John is saying. And so that is how he understands himself. And their response to him is to say, well, well, why are you baptizing? Why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? And he says, I am baptizing in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. Right? It has not been revealed to them who this coming one is yet. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. This was really interesting. I learned this this week during my study. See, slaves basically did everything for their masters, almost everything. And the most uh, demeaning task that they did was dealing with their master's shoes, untying them, carrying them. Wiping their feet, as you see in John 13 later on, right, when he washes his disciples' feet. That's a slave's task. And disciples of of teachers, you know, disciples of the rabbis, they acted like slaves to their rabbis in every way except one. They did not deal with their master's shoes, That was beneath disciples. It was too slave like for disciples to do that for their teachers. Otherwise, they acted like slaves for them, but not about their shoes. And John says here, I'm not even worthy to do a slave's task for this one that's coming. That's what John's saying. That was so intriguing to me, the humility of John to say something like that in this passage. I'm not even worthy to be a slave to this one who's coming. He's that great. And so the question looms large of, of what is going on with baptism. Why is John doing baptism? What, what, how do we make sense of that? And I think a good way to make sense of it, I, I thought a diagram is kind of the best way to make sense of it, so I'll try and paint a picture for you of what's going on with baptism and, and what John is doing with it. See, the way of salvation in the Old Testament understanding is this. It's a box, and that box is an ethnic box. If you're in, you are Jewish. If you're not Jewish, you're not in. So, you can be all over this box, you can have people who are all over it, and people who are all outside it, and it's pretty easy to delineate who's safe. Because if you're in that box, you're saved. And if you're out of that box, you're not saved. And that is the understanding that pervades the Pharisees and the priests and the Levites' questions to Jesus, and, and frankly, even the Jewish opposition to Christianity when it first appears on the scene. What's the repeated phrase the Pharisees say over and over in the Gospel of John? We're sons of Abraham. We're ethnically Jewish. We know we're saved. We don't need to be saved. We're Jewish. We are saved. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament, there's never an an example of baptism as we know it in the New Testament. It's an unattested phenomenon in the Scriptures. But if you look around the history of of the period of Jesus' life in Second Temple Judaism, they call it, Baptism happened in one instance. A true singular baptism. And that was in what's called proselyte baptism. Conversion baptism. And it was when people would convert from being non-Jewish, converting to the Jewish faith. It was the only time they were baptized. And so, proselyte baptism was the one way for those who were outside the box to get in the box. They would become ethnically Jewish. They would be circumcised and they would be baptized one time for the cleansing of their Gentileness to become Jewish. And what's so interesting and and obviously so offensive about baptism is that what John is redefining is that all these Jews need to be baptized like they're not the people of God. Uh, it would be anathema for a, a Jew to think they would need to be baptized. They're already the people of God. And John's saying we have to be baptized like a Gentile? How offensive, right? How offensive is that to the Jewish sensibility? And yet what John is saying is repent, right? He says, I preach a baptism of repentance in the other gospel." The humility of heart it would take for someone to be baptized as a Jew is the condition of heart they would need to receive Jesus the Messiah. To receive Jesus the Messiah, they had to be in a state of repentance and humility that could say, yes, I'm willing to submit to baptism. That I recognize I'm a sinner and I operate like a Gentile and I need to become the people of God and be cleansed from my sin and I need to repent That's what John is asking of them. And that's what John is doing, preparing their hearts for the coming of Jesus, right? And see, what's interesting is this idea of baptism, like I told you, showing that they all have to be baptized to become the people of God again. And the New Testament understanding of salvation that destroys this box is, of course, Jesus. And it destroys this box because what ends up happening in salvation is that wherever you are on this scale, it doesn't matter. The ethnic peace doesn't matter anymore. It's your orientation towards Jesus. And so you can be all the way out here and you can be a horrible abject sinner and you can be a, the, the worst of the Gentiles. And if you orient yourself towards the cross, towards Jesus, you can be saved. And if you're right here and you're ethnically Jewish as possible, if you can be the best Jew ever, right? Like like Paul says, I was a Benjaminite. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. I was a rabbi. I was all these things. You can be right here on the ethnicity box. And if you're turned away, you're not oriented towards Jesus. No salvation. See, this box is completely broken by the message that John is preparing for Jesus to preach. The repentance piece and the belief piece. And that repentance is integral for what Jesus is going to say is necessary to become saved, to become the people of God. And John is starting that message by saying, everyone's outside the circle. We all have to start over. We all have to be baptized for repentance, to orient ourselves to Jesus, who at this point in where we are in the gospel They don't even know who Jesus is yet, right? He just says, there's one among you who you don't know. And he's going to come on the scene and he will be revealed. And that's what the rest of this story is about, right? That revealing of Jesus. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him. And he said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is also an interesting designation. Now now John has turned from saying, this is what I am. I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm not this. I am this. And now he's going to say what Jesus is. This is his testimony to who Jesus is. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's so interesting about that is that image is so ingrained in the Christian mind, that Lamb image. And yet... Outside of Revelation, this is the only place it's used in the New Testament, the Lamb of God. In fact, it's possible that John is the first to use it as it relates to Christianity. And so there's all this debate about what, where is this image coming from in John's mind? See, we are on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. We can look back and say, who takes away the sins of the world? What does that mean? Well, he died for the sins of the world. And I think John writing his gospel, I think he kind of is almost uh, alluding to that, right? He's, he's saying, hey, you know, most of the people reading the gospel of John have already seen the other synoptics when they, the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they were written, which were written earlier. And so they've probably already heard the message of Jesus. And John kind of sneaks this in and says, yeah, we know what that means. When John the Baptist said it, he didn't understand the fullness of it. But us, looking back, we see the fullness of what taking away the sins of the world means. He died for sins, to take away the sins of the world, to remove them. And yet when John says this, he clearly doesn't have that picture. And I think we know that John doesn't specifically have that picture, John the Baptist, when he says it. Because what's the one thing that everyone misunderstood about Jesus? The disciples misunderstood it. The apostles misunderstood it. Peter rebukes Jesus for it. Clearly, the Pharisees and the leaders didn't understand it. And even the first Christians, the hardest thing they had to convince the Jews of was this fact. Was that Messiah would suffer and die. That was the stumbling block for everyone. The stumbling block for the Jews was how could the Messiah suffer and die when he's supposed to come in like a king? He's going to throw out all the enemies. He's going to cast out the Romans. He's going to defeat everyone and enact this wonderful age of, you know, the, the Jewish kingdom. How could he suffer and die? And what's interesting is I think this comports well with the other Gospels. The other time we find that Lamb of God image is actually in Revelation, Right? which hasn't been written when the Gospel of John was written. It's the last book of the Bible written. But what's interesting about it is that in other apocalyptic works of that period, that image of the lamb showed up often. And the lamb was a warrior who came in and defeated the enemies. It was the warrior lamb, which we actually see in Revelation also. John uses that same imagery in Revelation to say, The warrior lamb, the one who was slain, he's coming again to pour out his wrath, the wrath of the lamb. And so what's interesting is John the Baptist may have been saying one thing. This is the lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world in judgment, right? He's going to judge the sin of the world. And yet at the same time, the author of the gospel is saying, and we know more what that means. He's going to die and suffer for the sins of the world. Johns the gospel of John he the author he's a poet he uses these kind of you know double speak where he means two things simultaneously it's really powerful it's beautiful so he says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world this is he who i said after me comes a man who has a higher rank than i for he existed before me i did not recognize him But the reason I came baptizing in water was so that Israel might know him. So John felt his purpose was to point to Jesus, to witness to him. And so he says, I heard from the one who sent me that the one on whom the spirit descends and remains as a dove. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, that's the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. And that's the last designation that John talks about. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Spirit baptizer, the one who will baptize in the Spirit. And he is the Son or the Chosen One of God, which is interesting. Um, there's a textual variant there that's well attested. And some documents say Son of God, some say the Chosen One of God. It's very interesting. Um, What's so interesting to me about that is that Isaiah 42, which obviously these passages in Isaiah are on John's, the Baptist's mind, right? He just quoted from Isaiah 40. And it's possible he's also quoting from Isaiah 42 when he says, uh, he says this, um, what's found in the other Gospels, right, is a little different than what we see mentioned in John specifically because in the other Gospels you hear the voice of God, right? The voice of God says, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased, right? And um, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 42, what is said is this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, My chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Listen to how those words sum up exactly what's happening in this situation. I put my spirit on him. It's the one in whom I delight, which is what we know from the other Gospels was said by the voice from heaven. And he is my chosen one. That's very interesting. So, just a beautiful witness from John about who Jesus is, about who Jesus is. And so as I thought about that tonight, this this opening testimony, like I said, we're still in chapter one. And this big point that John, the author of the Gospel of John, wants to make is that there are people already at the very beginning testifying who Jesus is, what his character's like, what type of man he was, attesting to his his divinity and to what he was going to do for both Israel and the world. And in this scenario, as I think about that, this first opening witness, the witness of John the Baptist, right, his own cousin to who he was, this Old Testament prophet is what he looks like. And everyone agrees he's a prophet and he's already saying hey i 'm not even worthy to be this man 's slave that 's how great this coming one is, and he 's already speaking about Jesus. I think what I thought about we need to reflect on is how we also testify in John seventeen when when Jesus is giving his you know his last instructions John thirteen to seventeen in the upper room he 's telling his last instructions before he 's about to die, and uh, it 's in John, John 16, where he says, um, The Holy Spirit will testify, and you must testify also. And I think about that as it relates to this, as we read about this testimony of John. How are we testifying? How are we testifying to who Jesus is? Are we giving the same kind of words? as John the Baptist did? Are we saying, this is who I recognize Jesus to be in my own life. I've seen him be the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. I've seen him be the Spirit baptizer, the one who gives me the very presence of God to dwell in me. I've seen him as the Son of God, right? The coming King. I've seen him as all these things in my own life and and testifying that to other people. And also our own humility, recognizing that we're not those things. We're not those things. We need Jesus to be those things for us. Having the humility of John the Baptist to be able to say, I'm not even worthy to be this man's slave. I hope we can have that kind of humility or, or attempt at least the move toward that kind of humility. And I also hope we can testify. That's a theme that's going to run through the entire Gospel of John, is testifying to who Jesus is. Believing in his name. The disciples testify. And Jesus' miracles testify in the Gospel, it says. And the Father testifies. And John the Baptist testifies. And the Holy Spirit testifies. This theme runs throughout the whole gospel of this testimony. That it matters the words we speak and the words we say about who Jesus is. About who we are in relation to Him. That matters. I hope we'll all contemplate this week what what we testify. Not just with our words, but also with our lives. Do we testify to who Jesus is in our lives? Or do we primarily live our own life and kind of tack Jesus on as an addendum? I think there's a huge difference between those two things. There's a huge difference between the testimony of word and the testimony of of deed, of life. Now, I think both are important. I'm not saying that. Clearly, John the Baptist, his words are vital to identifying who Jesus is. But I think John's words are powerful because he obviously lived them out. He believed them. He put himself below Jesus. He submitted to Christ. And he even tells his disciples, I told you, that's the one who was coming. I told you he's the one. And his disciples leave him. John's own disciples leave him to follow Jesus. And we need to think about if we're living that kind of life that would have that level of humility and that would speak those powerful words but also live out the reality behind them. Anyway, Uh, Monique, why don't you come up?
3: So I just wanted to say that we wanted to kind of incorporate when in our planning meeting we do each week about the service and stuff. We talked about community life and how to continue to build that. Um, yeah, that is done. That's my <laughs> And um, we just talked a lot about prayer and how important prayer is to Jeremy and I and well, all of us but, um, as we're starting Wellspring and really starting just in faith and seeing what God does. we wanted to incorporate a time where we can kind of communally share um, what's on our hearts and I'm not expecting everyone to raise their hand with a prayer request, but um, just something that throughout your week, if you're um, needing prayer for something, that you can uh, share that with us and if you want us to pray for it on Sunday nights, we'd be happy to do that and we'll kind of see how that grows or maybe people won't feel comfortable doing that, but we wanted to at least uh, bring that up doing that. Um, but aside from sharing communally, we also, you know, if you need prayer, that um, you want just for a private matter, we're happy to pay for that too. So you will share that with us and we won't share it with everyone. But um, just from our own life right now, think, um, from the first week, for those of you that were here the first week, we shared about Eli and thank you and he had his appointment at Children's on the Monday after our first service. Can you say hi to everyone? (laughs) And um, so he, our son has cerebral palsy for those of you who don't know and um, the doctors wanted us to um, get leg braces and so he has them on tonight. He wanted to show everyone so he'll be wearing those. Um, He's breaking them in right now and I just wanted to share um, that that's going really well and he's working so hard and exercises, and he's very compliant, so we appreciate you guys praying for that, Um, and I just wanted to pray for you, Eli, if that's okay, tonight, Um, and then going forward, like I said, if you guys have prayer requests, feel free to share them, and you can kind of incorporate some community prayer into this, so, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for tonight, thank you for the words that Jeremy shared and from John. Learning about who you are, Christ, and, uh, just, we're so grateful for who you are and what you have offered us. And um, we're just thankful that we can come together, that we can talk with you and commune with you and um, bring our burdens before you. And uh, you know our hearts, Jeremy and I, and what we've walked through with Eli and in his life. We're so grateful for his life, that it really is a miracle, Lord, and that you protected him from in the womb till now over him in such a unique way. And um, I just pray that you would continue to give him strength as he is growing and using these braces every day and working really hard, doing exercises and going to his appointments and doing everything the doctors say. I'm just so grateful, Lord, that um, you've given us such a courageous son and um, just the testimony that he is to us of what it means to be persistent. and. Him, give him strength this week. Thank you for his appointment tomorrow. I hope it goes well. we'll just be with the,
0: Lord. In the name we pray. Amen. 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 Let me bless you and we'll we'll finish. Lord, bless every person here. I pray that you would help them to reflect on their own life and what their life testifies about who you are. And I pray that we would all consider the testimony that we offer. Bless them. May they go out in strength and in peace. And in love, Lord, towards a world that desperately needs to hear that testimony about who you are. Amen. Amen. Love you all. Thank you. We're going to have dessert in uh, the, just the, right across the way. There's a room there. We'll have some angel food cake with strawberries if you would like to join us. Love to have you. Thank you. Let me bless you and we'll, we'll finish. Lord, bless every person here. I pray that you would help them to reflect on their own life. And what their life testifies about who you are. And I pray that we would all consider the testimony that we offer. Bless them. May they go out in strength and in peace and in love, Lord. Towards a world that desperately needs to hear that testimony about who you are. Amen. Amen. Love you all.